Welcome to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. We've got a hilarious comedian guest for you today, Liz Mealy. She started doing stand-up at age 16 from New Jersey. Started in New York City. Uh, when she was 22, she appeared on Comedy Central's Live at Gotham. Um, and she has been on TV. She's been in a bunch of magazines, like everything from Runner's World to Psychology Today. Um, she has two comedy albums. She has a viral video on YouTube called Feminist Sex Positions. That's hilarious. Uh, a couple web series and an upcoming book that she wrote about cats. So a lot of stuff going on for her. She's traveled all over the world for um, comedy, did, done tours in UK, Australia, Asia, all over the place. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy this interview. I think it was pretty good. I think she's pretty candid about a lot of things. And I learned a lot about stand-up comedy and Liz. So enjoy. Liz Mealy. I said that right, right? Killing it. You did great. Awesome. So my first question, really easy for you. Um, are you rocking the straight hair or the curly hair today? Because I've seen both. And which one do you prefer? Oh, wow. This is so invasive. Um, <laughs> trying to start with a softball. I, yeah, no. I, I mean, I am rocking straight hair. And it's honestly, it's a, a sad question. Um, I look better in a hat when my hair is straight. Hmm. And it's so cold that I'm wearing a hat all the time and I'm going to Canada, uh, which is even colder. So do a mix of, I mostly straighten it for traveling because then I don't have to wash my hair and I'm really lazy and I can bring less stuff. Oh, okay. Um, and then also when it's cold, it's just a way it's honestly a lazy move. Like I can throw a hat on and it cuts off washing my hair, doing my hair. (laughs) Okay. Um, and curly hair. I like it. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be a curly haired lady. It is so much work and it, it looks nice 60% of the time, like oh. just because of like weather yeah. and like, it, you know, if I don't do it properly or if I run out of product or there's like truly 50 variations of why it would not look right. And then of course it only looks good on camera, like 20% of the time for me. Cause I have, gotcha. I have, um, thin curly hair like I have very mm. thin hair as opposed to like uh, women that are either mixed or, or are black have thicker hair and it, it doesn't look as bad when it's frizzy like it just it, <laughs> they can cover it up a little bit better so I have like very mixed this is actually a really deep question yeah this is this is um, a lot of hair talk wow this is way more than I was expecting to get <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't realize how important this is but I guess yeah not. I, I would say most people see pictures of me with straight hair because if I'm going to pay money for somebody to take a picture, I want to like the picture. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha, gotcha. So you're from Brooklyn. Um, do you think there's a difference between, I mean, because you're a comedian, is there a difference between the East Coast and the West Coast comedians? Because it seems to me like, I mean, tell me if you agree with this. Sometimes people in LA are almost like kind of too cool for stuff. So I'm originally from New Jersey. I've been in uh, New York and um, I've been in New York for I think 16 years, Brooklyn for I think 11. Um, So I, yeah, I've been East Coast my whole life. I started comedy in New York. I I mean, my feelings might be controversial. (laughs) When people, as somebody, as somebody that travels all over the world, I don't consider myself American as much as I consider myself East Coast. Like gotcha. I used to think I didn't have culture. And then I realized that like the level of how well I do on the East Coast as opposed to the West Coast, especially California, 
there is a level of like, ah, fuck yourself. And like, I'm angry. And like, this is how I feel about life. And it, it and just like this kind of stressed out, angry vibe that has been in my heart since I was born is just easily relatable over here. And I'm not saying mm. I don't have shows that go well or fans on both coasts or all over the country, but for some reason, my anger and negativity do very well on the <laughs> East Coast and surprisingly yeah. very well in like, um, like London, I, I would say it like feels like a second home to me. Um, I do really well in the UK, um, uh, parts of Scandinavia, like anywhere that's like depressed, mm-hmm. I do really well. Mm. Um, you know, people that don't get sunlight enough, I just, they have too much sunshine and I think it really affects their ability to see how funny I am. Gotcha. Yeah, I know what that's like. I'm from <laughs> Seattle, so there's not a lot of sunshine there either. And I, and I do great in Seattle. So <laughs> it's like, it really is like place to place. Gotcha. Um, so you're the second oldest of five children, Italian family, both parents were veterinarians and you wanted to be Sandra Bullock when you were a kid. So what was your favorite Sandra Bullock movie? Oh, I mean, that's so funny. I like, I feel like I should hold on to those movies better in my head. Um, Anything where she like fell, it was like charming. I forget what she was in the (laughs) 90s. Is that every movie? While you were sleeping or one of those? Oh, I loved while you were sleeping. That was probably a big one. She was so cute and charming. And then there was also like whatever that witch movie was in like the late nineties. She was like a witch or something. Oh, oh yeah. With it wasn't there a couple. I feel I had to see all these movies because I dated a girl in the nineties that she wanted to see all the chick flicks. So I was always having to go to all those. I feel like I saw a lot of those yeah. movies. Yeah, anything that she, truly. Truly anything that she was in where she was like kind of like both funny, but like, like she was, it's, you, you glom on as a woman to like vibes that you think you can fulfill that society is saying is acceptable. And she wasn't like, like, she wasn't like almost how, uh, think like Liz Lemon and you know, how Tina Fey portrays women where it's like they're feminine but like they're kind of not sure how to be really feminine hmm. and like they're doing their best yet people still find them charming. And I was like, Oh, I'm also missing the mark, but <laughs> feel like I'm charming. Right. So I think there is, especially at a young age, but even, you know, in my thirties, like, you know, I do my best and I, there, I do have girly aspects to me. I love nail polish. I do my makeup, but like, as I said in the beginning, I will avoid making any effort to do my hair if I can make it look nice with a hat. <laughs> right. Okay. So then at age 14, you, you started watching stand up and you started taping them. This is really interesting. I heard about this. You wrote down the jokes in a notebook and then you, you gave it to, well, you wrote down the jokes from the stand up specials, but then you started making your own jokes in a notebook and then gave it to your friends and had them star what was funny and then give it back to you. And from that, you created a set list and you started doing comedy at 16, which is really young. Can you remember any of the old jokes from when you were 16, either like a really funny one or a really bad one? The only one I can remember wasn't from like my first set. It was probably more when I was like 17. I had, um, and I had been doing it probably like six to eight months. I, I had a joke about a buddy who had a one-eyed cat and he talked about how special his one-eyed cat was. And he was like, he's like, he's just like, it's just, you know, it's just really special. And that's why I, I like my cat. And I was like, I don't really think it's that special. Like you could make one of those. 
Oh, that's that's and like that a, was like that's a dark cat joke for a cat lover, though. But almost all my cat jokes are dark, and I've always had a very and it's kind of crazy to think like that's my buddy Burkash. I've known him. I met him in college, and um, it's still one of his favorite jokes. Like he's like, "You really peaked at 17. Um, <laughs> Ouch! But yeah, no, that's that's Burkash. But um, truly, I. It makes me proud because my stand-up is dark in a lot of ways, and and I, I ended up honestly getting a book deal out of how I present myself as a cat lover, which is like I love them; they're my favorite thing in the whole world. But they're assholes, and I'm frustrated by them, and they've thrown up on everything I love. And mm-hmm. so, uh, because I have this joke um, up called "Cat Accident," which is pretty much about how nobody actively gets a cat; like something bad has to happen to you, and they right. kind of fall mm-hmm. into your life. So I always say, like, everybody's one bad breakup away from being a cat owner. Right. Um, an, an editor saw that joke, and him and his wife have two cats, and they're like, yeah, that's what we want. We want somebody to talk about them, but, like, be honest about how much they also suck. And I was like, can do. Um, so I actually just this week finished my cat book, which will be out. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you about that. Fall Great. 2020. Awesome. Cool. So your first show that you did it was actually at the Comedy Cellar, which I've been there once one time, but it was a bringer show. And then you started doing the open mics and then you started barking. So can you explain to the audience? I actually know what these terms mean because I watched the show crashing, but can you explain to the audience what bringer and barking is and, and what it's like to have to do that as a comedian? Yeah. So, um, so in the beginning when you're just trying to figure this out, you're, you know, it's, it's um, almost like paid, like pay per class college if you think of it that way where in the beginning Mm -hmm. you're either doing open mics I think the best thing you can do for yourself is an open mic most open mics and it kind of varies but I would say in New York City you either pay like five dollars or you buy a drink Hmm. and it'll give you five to seven minutes of stage time Hmm. um a bringer show is you bring x number of guests every club and room is different but let's say you bring five guests and it'll get you seven to ten minutes of stage time and if guests don't come like, let's say you only bring four people, they either don't let you on at all or they'll cut your time. So, oh. like, if you're supposed to do seven minutes, now you're only allowed to do five because you only brought four people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then barking, which they still do it a little bit, but not as much as they did it when I first started, um, you know, almost 18 years ago. But mm-hmm. um, uh, barking is you would hand out flyers for the club for like an hour, you know, around the block, a couple blocks away, encourage people to come see the show. And from that, you would get stage time. So you're basically doing labor and getting people to come see the show. Really, you're cultivating your own audience with labor. Mm-hmm. And the club I used to do it for when I was a teenager, you would write your initials on the back. And then for every person that came in with your <clears throat> your flyer with your initials, you get like two bucks. So hmm. you're also making a little bit of money. Oh. But this was truly what was important to me was, um, you know, you run out of friends fast um if you're doing bringer shows right so i would do them once in a while and then open mics were a little hard for me because i wasn't able i wasn't 21 yet Mm. um but this club this really crappy club if i'm being honest um did three shows a night almost every single night and in the beginning it's just about stage time getting comfortable on stage learning your jokes trying out new jokes writing as much as you can and so i barked from 17 to 19 
almost every single night doing wow. probably 15 to 20 shows a week. Like it's the foundation as much as this club took advantage of comics and weren't good people. And I have also a lot of bad memories. Mm-hmm. The, the truth of the matter was, is that the foundation of why I am the comic that I am, because mm-hmm. I, I was aware that stage time was precious, that it's hard to come by and that it's literally gold and the most important thing you can have. And I was like, I'd rather, you know, do the labor, be cold outside, but get in the stage time and, and, and have it be guaranteed. Yeah. Wow. You were driven. So when you, did you have response? Cause I know when you were barking, people will tell you stuff like, like you're walking down the street and then the person would say, Oh, you're a comedian. Make me laugh. Do you have, did you have like a canned response to that? Eventually did you develop one or. I did. I really don't remember them. I would always have like some kind of quirky, like I, like, so in general, barking is truly boring and demoralizing. <laughs> right. So it sounds rough. You, you would come up, yeah. So you would come up with little like, you know, phrase like, Hey, I, I don't want your money. I just want to make you laugh or like, you know what I mean? Like you would, you would play off the fact that, especially cause I was in times square, you would play off the fact that you're one of so many people trying to pawn off something or get attention. Yeah. I also, you know, I look like I'm 16 now. I can't even imagine what I looked like <laughs> back then. So I definitely had like little quibs and jokes that I would make. If somebody said, make me laugh. I mean, it, I, even then I found that obnoxious right. that I'm sure I, I, you know, either tried to rebuttal it or, or I just ignored it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, it's, while I was grateful to have the stage time, it wasn't, fun times like I would mm-hmm. be in you know 10 degree weather wearing like sometimes I would wear all the clothes I had but then another comic that was indoors would give me their coat so Jeez. I was just like I looked like I was homeless <laughs> handing out flyers freezing my butt off oh my God. and it was important to me to keep getting the work so I worked huh. really hard but then you know you would come yeah. in you'd be freezing and they'd be like hey you're on in five minutes and you're like I can't feel my lips like, can I go on in 20 minutes? Like, like wow. you truly would like not even be in the right headspace to do comedy. Cause you were so right. cold. Yeah or, your your, yeah. or your voice would be hoarse cause you're yelling on the street. Like mm. it was, it wasn't fun, but at the same time it was, I'm very grateful that I had that kind of opportunity because it's the reason I, like I said, have the foundation that I have. Yeah. So, and then back at this time, was this around the time when you, you reached out to famous comedians asking them for advice and you actually heard back from a pretty famous comedian, George Carlin called you back. And then did you guys, you kind of had like a phone mentorship, like relationship, or was it just one time you talked to him or can you clear that one up? I was a little confused. on Yeah. That. So when I was 15, right before I like really started performing, I wrote to about like 50 comedians. Like this was like early internet. So, you know, you could kind of find like, you know, not a lot of people had email addresses. Um, so it was <laughs> mm-hmm. actually, I saw, I sent some emails, but I actually sent more letters and it was, some of it was like, you know, home of the stars, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Cause like you couldn't find anything, but some of it was like their manager. Some of it was just like an address they gave. And so I found George Carlin's and I was a huge fan and I, you know, I, I wasn't asking for an autograph. All I was asking was like, Hey, I'm 15. I want to do stand up. If you have any advice, I'd be really grateful. And, um, 
I think a couple people sent me headshots. I was like, did you not read my goddamn letter? <laughs> um, I was like so pissed. I was like, I don't want your headshot. Um, but uh, I had, this is like before Judd Apatow was the Judd Apatow we know, but he had made Freaks and Geeks. I was a huge Freaks and Geeks oh, fan. Yeah. And I think Unde- uh, Undeclared had come out. It was like the college yeah, version. That was a good show. Freaks Seth Rogen was in that. I lo- yeah, I liked it. He's in both, actually. Yeah, and I yeah. liked both of them. So Judd Apatow still had his email on his website. Like, that's how late it was. So I emailed him. He emailed me back the next day. Wow. And it wasn't, like, the greatest letter. It was, like, stay in school, maybe go to school for writing. Like, mm. but it was really nice he wrote me back. I have it printed out somewhere in, like, a cabinet because I'm a dorky, organized, sentimental person. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, George, he called. So I had written this letter. Apparently, he's had an office for years. He would go to an office every day and do his writing. So I had, you know, stumbled upon his office address. He got my letter. And I wrote my letters like a business letter because that's how my dad taught me. So at the top of the letter, it said my name, my address, my email, and my phone number. Then it was my, you know, my email being like, if you have any advice, and then I would sign my name. And so he called me. And it was crazy because I'm one of five kids, and I'm never home alone. And no joke, since you brought up Sandra Bullock, I was home alone doing (laughs) laundry, watching that witch Sandra Bullock movie because it was always on like TBS or whatever. And he called I like, there's a lot of mental illness in the family. So I thought I was having like a delusion. Um, <laughs> but he called and basically was like, you know, you should be writing every day. Make sure you're getting up as much as possible. He's like, you know, I'm clearly not in the, the loop like I was before. Cause, you know, I'm doing theaters, but blah, blah, blah. But he gave me all this advice. And then he told me if I ever had any questions, I could write to him. And wow. then a week later, he sent me a signed headshot, which I thought was really nice. Like unprompted, yeah. just wrote... It's on my desk right now. It's just him and it says, go do it, uh, George Carlin. And then from there, I think I might have mailed him maybe two or three more letters. He would always write back like on a postcard or something else. And then he gave me free tickets to a show in New Brunswick because I was still in high school. And so me and my friends saw him in New Brunswick. Um, Then I think he, I can't remember when he ended up giving me an email address, but eventually he gave me an email address and I would email him occasionally. Like, you know, I emailed them to be like, I started doing stand up. Um, oh, when I was 18 and I was in the New Yorker, I had mentioned our phone call mm. and I sent him a copy of the New Yorker and he called me to be like, Hey, I read it. This is awesome. I'm really proud of you. Um, <sighs> and then I met him when I was 19. We got, we got coffee um, in the lobby of his hotel and he, I was like, really just, I didn't understand how to organize jokes. I was 18 year, or 19 years old. I was like starting to accumulate material, but I was like, how do you, I, it took me like a long time to understand, like, how do you make a, how do you flow an hour and how do you do this? And so he brought his, his MacBook out and he showed hmm. me how he organized his jokes. And he sat with me for like a little over an hour and like really kind of talked about the mechanics of how he does what he does. And, it, and then took a picture with me, which is still, you know, a prize possession sure. and then when I was 22 oh and then he sent me I think I went to a book signing he signed my book but then his newest book um or his latest book before he died he sent me that he mailed that to me huh. and then wow um, do you think I he did on, this a lot for a lot of people or were you special he like, did. oh he did okay he did. wow yeah he's just he's there's nobody that has talked about George Carlin in the present or past that has never talked about his generosity and kindness. Yeah. Um, if you watch the Gary Goleman, not Gary Goleman, uh, Gary Shandling 
uh, documentary that Judd Apatow made. Oh, I want to see that, yeah. It's really good. It's like a two-parter on HBO. There's a, actually a part where Gary Shandling was like, he, I think he like wrote jokes for Carlin or he was writing stuff and he asked Carlin's opinion. And like the next day he came back and it was all marked up and George had like given him all these notes. But um, I know other comics that um, had reached out to him over the years and he was kind and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then of course, you know, when I, my first TV appearance, I sent him, I told him when it was happening and, you know, he didn't let me know he was in the hospital, but he said he would watch it. And then two days later he died. <sighs> so like, this is a person that always got back to me. Yeah. You know, it was funny because I, I remember when he died and people were like, I'm sorry, you lost your friend. And I remember thinking, like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say friends because right. it was such a one way relationship <laughs> where he was giving me advice yeah. and sending me books and tickets and just being a kind, thoughtful person that was encouraging to my career. But, you know, when I look back and I think about how I've helped other people, like there is like a part of me that's like, yeah, I want the best for them. And is that Absolutely. not some level of a friendship. And so, I mean, if I'm being truthful, I loved his comedy, but how he treated me and how I've learned he's treated others has had more of a profound influence on me as a person and me as a a comic that's now more established than anything else. Like I get constant emails about, you know, I'm, I'm going to do my first open mic. What do you think? How much should I do? And I've, I make a point, even if it's not a lot of information, I make a point to try to get back to everybody and give them even just a little bit of a push or, or help or guidance because not only did Carlin do that for me, but there was tons of people along the way um, that have been such an influence and helpful throughout mm-hmm. my career that you really start to learn that like managers and agents have some help and executives can do something for you, but most of the movement in your career is due to your peers. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about that. Cause I know you said um, you didn't really understand how social media worked, but then you started reading books and you kind of taught yourself how to do it. And I have like 40,000 followers. So you said you get a lot of emails, like how many direct messages do you get a day on Instagram? And then what, what kinds of people, what, or what kinds of things do people message you about besides like asking you to do a podcast? <laughs> Um, it's a funny question. It depends on the day, especially like if a video goes viral or like a post really um, connects with people or, um, uh, you know, sometimes I even ask for information. Like I'll post like, hey, this is my tour. Where else should I go? Mm. So a lot of it is, you know, come to the city. Um, but I would, I would say it depends on the day. A, a slow day is maybe 50 messages. Um uh, a crazy day is like anywhere from two to 300. Um, if I'm being honest, that higher number is unsolicited cat pictures. I, <laughs> I posted, yeah, I, so oh, okay. I brought it on my, yeah. I brought it on myself. Yeah. Um, people, I do cat day every Saturday. So I post a yeah. picture of either my cat or a cat I've seen on the streets or whatever. I just, I like cats and I'm starting to lose friends by posting pic- too many pictures of my cat. So I decided, I would only post cat pictures on Saturday for Catterday. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite thing to do. And I've become like a photographer. Like, I think I'm a really great cat photographer. <laughs> photographer. I've never um, heard that before. It's good. Oh, it's definitely made up. Um, so, so, so basically, I, um, people kind of send me cat pictures randomly. Mm-hmm. And then this guy wrote to me and he wrote, you know, said some nice things about my comedy. And he goes, can I send you a picture of my cat? And I said, as long as that's not a euphemism. <laughs> and... 
And then he sent me pictures of his cat. And I just thought that was such a funny exchange. So then I took a screenshot and I posted it in my Insta story. So then 40 people sent me pictures of their cats. And then I got so many funny pictures that I then made it a bigger post. And then I got like almost 300 pictures of people's cats. And it would say unsolicited cat picture. And the way it shows up on Instagram is when somebody you're not friends with sends you a picture, it blacks it out Mm -hmm. just in case it's a dick pic. And (laughs) I have all these. I had all these pictures of cat. It was just, it was actually one of my, fa- it was overwhelming, but it was one of my favorite days. Do you have a favorite like cat video that you've seen? Like the cutest cat video you've seen? Or is there's too many to even keep track of all that. Oh, I have so many, but the one, there's a trend on TikTok. It's almost the whole reason I joined TikTok. There's a trend <laughs> on TikTok. I don't, it's like this kind of like Mexican sounding. I don't know what the song is, but it's the same song every time. And they've done it with different animals and babies and dogs or whatever. But the ones with the cats are so funny because cats, when you pick them up and you put your hands under their armpits, their arms just kind of stand out straight like a zombie. Right. And their faces are always so flat and either confused or angry that it's so funny. But what they do is during the song, they it goes dun, 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 and the cat comes out from you do it like behind a, like a, a door or a wall. Oh. So like one part of the song, it comes out to one side. And then it shakes, and then you kind of shake the cat, and it makes it look like it's dancing. There's like seven of them. Hmm. They're so funny. I share them every time. They're my favorite trending thing that's happening right now. I'll have to check um, that out. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll send you some. They're okay, so awesome. Um, but but yeah, I like. I mean, I get different cat memes and all. This. I most of what I follow, I follow my friends, and I follow cat memes and profiles and. Like I've had, I've had people be like, Hey, I don't need you to follow me, but we follow my cat. Done. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So I was going to ask you though, do you feel like the fan interaction is kind of a big part of being an entertainer or a comedian nowadays? Cause I always see the comedians lining up after shows to meet their fans and take pictures. And I see like young musicians like uh, this kid, Eddie Eberly in Phoenix, he's always like walking the crowd in between song sets and talking with all the fans. Do you feel like that's a big part of what you have to do now to be successful? I do. I do, especially because with social media, it's given people a way to have access to their fans. And I think, I mean, there's pros and cons of it and it's truly overwhelming. And I do appreciate, I get a lot of messages where like, cause I try to comment, you know, nice comments, not mean comments. I just ignore them. But, um, but anybody that writes to me or, um, sends me messages, if I don't feel like it's, um, inappropriate or, or, too much of a violation of my space I usually get back to people and Mm -hmm. I'm thankful of people um I do have boundaries and I don't need to explain them to people and I'll just delete people and I don't have a I mean that's something you kind of learn along the way right but for the most part I do think if it's not necessary it's very much appreciated and I people see that I make an effort and I think people see you know 40k isn't that much in the world of entertainment but it is even for someone like me who's doing all my own social media, it is mm-hmm. a lot of work and it is overwhelming. And I try to do it in my spare time. I'm waiting for the train for eight minutes. I'll go mm. and like some comments and reply to some people. Yeah. You know, I'm waiting to do a spot. I'll reply to two emails. I'm waiting for my plane to take off. I'll, you know, get back to a couple people asking when I'm going to be in Cincinnati. Like it's, I, I do it in my spare time because to sit there and just do it is, a, not fun and be exhausting and sure. you start to become a little resentful, but, yeah. and I miss people. I, I can't keep up on all of it. I just do my best in the moment. And then, you know, there's people that say mean stuff. I try to ignore it. 
there's people that, you know, try to threaten you or get under your skin, unless I feel like it's a real, like I, I got confused with a comic that was getting death threats. Like they just, like she was getting death threats. She should not have got be getting death threats. It was ridiculous. Hmm. But because I had commented on it and um, a couple articles had picked up my tweet commenting on it, a bunch of idiots confused me as her and started threatening me about a joke I didn't even do. Wow. So then I was like, it feels to my benefit to let them know they are threatening the wrong person. Right. So I wrote to, it was about 15 people and I wrote to them. I go, Hey, first of all, you're confusing me with the wrong comedian. She's an Egyptian American comedian with a name that's not even similar to mine. She should not be getting death threats, but I do feel if you're going to threaten people, you should threaten the right person. <laughs> I never said this because I'm not this person. Ugh. All that being said, I do support her. And this was, she made a joke about uh, a hip hop um, a rapper that died. Oh. Um, but it really wasn't about the joke. It was about Venmo, regardless. Okay. Um, but I explained everything. And I would say most people either deleted their comments, um, apologized, or um, I had two people go, nah, that's you. And I was like, <laughs> cool, bro. <laughs> like, wow. I don't know what to tell you. And then I just block those people. Yeah, you're sure. an idiot and a scary idiot. Yeah, but I, I I just never understand why people would threaten somebody or their livelihood or their life because of a joke. Yeah, or um, even just an opinion. That, yeah. yeah. Well, there's politicians literally ruining people's lives, and I feel like they're not held nearly as accountable as somebody that makes a silly joke that's that right. truly affects no one. But it is what it is. Yeah. So besides the social media upkeep, what else? Can you give me like a typical day when you, when you go on tour for for example on a comedy show? Like I know you have, obviously you have the shows at night. Is there like a rehearsal that you do beforehand in your hotel? Or are there a lot of interviews for radio and TV stations? Like because sometimes comedians will, will be in town and they're like, oh yeah, I don't I don't know if I can do your podcast. I'm I'm just too busy. So I'm just wondering, is that like a kind of a bullshit excuse, or are you like actually really busy when you're on tour, like doing a bunch of stuff? It is. I mean, it's, it depends on what club you're doing. If you're doing a town that you have an audience or you don't have an audience, it's every, every situation is different. Like for me, I am going to Canada for the first time. I'm fortunate that my Montreal show is de- selling decent. Um, um, but like Toronto sold out. So there's nice. not really anything I need to do. And then I'm only there for two days and then I come back for four and then I go to Texas and one of my shows, San Antonio sold out, Houston's doing okay. So like when the sales are doing okay, I mean, you still might have to do press depending on the club and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this whole tour by myself. So I'm not working for a club. I rented out the space. Mm. So it's my fan base. And if they come or don't come, that's on me. And I don't have for these shows, I don't have a publicist other than like my social media. So I am going to be slammed though. Like, so tomorrow I get up at eight, I go to the airport, I get to my hotel. I mean, today I'm going to practice. I haven't done an hour in about a month. Hmm. It won't take too much for me to remember it, but I need to create my set list. Then I need to practice any of the jokes that I haven't done in a month and make sure they're down. Then I have new jokes. I have to figure out where they're going to go and make sure they flow with some of my older jokes. So I would say there's at least a couple of hours of prep the day before and then often the day of if I still feel shaky on some jokes. So by the time I get to my, I think in Canada tomorrow, like the time I get to my hotel, it's probably like three. So then I shower, I rehearse, and then 
my I need to get to the club by seven. Like sometimes you don't even have an hour to go roam if you want to go. Like I'm going to be mm-hmm. in Montreal for the first time, and I don't know if I'm going to even see anything, hmm. let alone have time to eat more than you know a granola bar. So, yeah. So um, so, so, so it actually next- sounds like you do have a lot to do, and you are going to be pretty busy. Yeah, because especially for me, I'm traveling every day. Yeah. So like then the next day I get up early, I go to Toronto. You know, I should know my hour because I just did the day before, so I shouldn't have too much prep. So maybe I'll walk around a little bit, but I still have emails to write. I still need to prep for the next week. You know, you're kind of, especially most of us do this all ourselves. And even when you have a manager or an agent, they're not doing much of the day to day. It's all on you. Mm. So it, it it depends on where you're going, who's booking it. Yeah. But like, Show days are usually show days when I'm on the road are usually some of my busiest days. Hmm. And if I'm fortunate, maybe I might be in a club where I'm there for a couple of days. So then the first day is really busy. But then the the next two days are less busy because, again, I already know my hour. The press is already done because you do it the first day. But, you know, sometimes you're trying to cram stuff in or you're trying to go places. It can be. And then you also need to rest up for the show. I mean, I can't say how many times. I wish I took a nap before a show because now I'm on stage and my head hurts and I'm tired. And mm. Now I have to perform for an hour. And then I do do meet and greets after the show. Right. So, and yeah, you've toured all over the place, Asia, UK, Australia, Pakistan. I thought this, this show sounded really interesting. Did you say something about doing a nudist colony in West Virginia? I got to hear this. There's got to be a story behind that. What, what was that like? I've never heard of that. I did it. Oh. I want to say like eight years ago. I can't remember when it was done, but it was definitely during a time in my career where I was full time and was taking anything that paid me money. And I, a lot of people think I'm a DC comic because I I spent a lot of time in DC. My sister went to George Washington University. She lived in DC or right outside of DC in Arlington for like 15 years. So I could do the DC market and uh, have low expenses because I could stay on my sister's couch. Um, Mm. So I did a lot of work in DC and then to make money, I would just stay out there for a week. So I might do like the Arlington draft house or the DC improv and then do a bunch of one nighters and then maybe stay for two days, not making money so that I can do something nearby and make a bunch of money. And I did that a lot where I would like kind of stay in that area for weeks at a time just making as much money as I could because I had a free place to stay. That's smart. So this gig in West Virginia, I was doing something like that. I was doing like a week or two weeks in the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. And a friend of mine was like, do you want to do a nudist colony? And I was like, absolutely not. And he goes, you don't have to be nude and it pays this much (laughs) money. And I was like, yeah, I do want to do it. (laughs) And so I was like, so, I mean, it was, I will say this. It was as, awkward and uncomfortable as you think it was okay that's what i was asking virginia there was no cell phone service which when you're going to a nudist colony as a young lady by yourself you're like i would like my cell phone to work right so there's no cell phone service we're staying on the property which is like not the great you know this isn't a you're in west virginia it's not a luxurious place Mm -hmm. but everybody's old everybody is like probably honestly realistically 60s 70s so it's not no offense. Yeah. It's not the body no. <laughs> that you that you're looking for in a nudist colony. Um, I will say this though: the only people clothed was me, the other comic, and the cook. Is you know safety. That's good. And it was um, one of the most fun shows I've ever done. Really? They were yes. They were so kind. 
they were so fun to joke with and be silly with. Like they huh. both were very receptive of my material, but also like you could literally, like I literally talked about how old and saggy their balls were. <laughs> and it was, uh. and they took it like so well. Like they clearly have a sense of humor. I don't right. think you're like in your 60s at a nudist colony because you are uptight. Yeah, good and point. Good point. I was, I was selling cat t-shirts at the time. So I'm now selling t-shirts to people that are at a nudist colony and they bought like 10, 15 shirts. Like they bought, they were super supportive for something they don't even use. Like it was just like, (laughs) it just, seriously, it makes you, it makes you think about the prejudices and the, the stereotypes that we make on people. But at the end of the day, I've noticed more and more that like my first opinion is usually wrong. And Mm. they were truly really fun. And one of the, coolest gigs I've ever done. Was it uncomfortable? Absolutely. Did I want to be there? Not really, but when it comes to performances, it was really fun and they were really good, thoughtful people. That's cool. So that was a good show, but you said that you like talking about your bad shows more than your good shows. So can you tell me a good bombing story where you bombed? Oh, I have so many. Um, <laughs> you know, you one you need, haven't told you on need... another podcast. I want this to be the uh, world premiere story. Ooh, I don't even know. <laughs> or the best one. Um, I mean, there's a couple. Like, I did a college. This is probably, like, over 10 years ago. I did a college gig that was just horribly set up where it was in a cafeteria. Um, it was They had, like, a station where girls could, like, dress up in, like, weird costumes and take selfies. <laughs> and then I was, like, on the in the middle of this cafeteria doing an hour of stand-up. And then there was a band behind me. And as soon as I was done, the band would play. And when I started what? the gig, there was maybe, I don't know, 15 people just sitting there. And then I guess they open up the cafeteria for like late night snacks at 10. Hmm. And all of a sudden, maybe 20 minutes into my act, like hundreds of kids lined up to get snacks. So they're not really paying attention. But now I'm being heckled. And um, like before, I was just kind of lightly bombing. Yeah. And then it turned into like being made fun of and getting heckled. And, you know, you have to be clean so you can't say anything. So it was just like almost like abuse for an hour. The only people that were kind of laughing were the band behind me. And so afterwards, I was just like upset, just embarrassed and just like, this isn't my fault, but I feel like it's my fault. And there was like a Wawa down the street. And I went and, you know, my vice is, especially when you have to drive four hours home, my vice has always been like candy and junk food. So I go to this Wawa and I like, get a soda and a Red Bull and like a bunch of like M&Ms and candy. And a couple of guys from the show were like, bad gig. And I was like, no, it was a delight. (laughs) (laughs) And then I just cried in my car while eating junk food. Um, There's so many bad ones. Like (laughs) it's, it's truly, you know, bombing for 20 minutes starts to feel like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a new one. Oh, okay. Um, Good. this, This one's, this one's fresh. Um, and it's almost unbelievable. I got asked to do a charity gig in Coney Island and I live pretty deep into Brooklyn. So it wasn't far from me. And I was like, it was a Tuesday, wasn't great money, but it's for charity and I can sleep in my own bed and it's on a Tuesday. So it's like, sure, I'll do it. I knew it was, and it was 15 minutes. I was like, I knew this wasn't going to be a great gig, but whatever. So you know, I had to leave early in the morning to fly out for, for gigs. And he knew that. And he goes, do you want to eat? Da, 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 da. I go, no, I want to be in and out. So he told me when my spot time was. He asked me to be a half hour early. I respected it. Got there a half hour early. Show starts 45 minutes late. Um, it's 
what it's for like homelessness. It's a bunch of different charities, but it starts 45 minutes late and it's in a, like, I think like an Italian or Greek restaurant, but they have a boxing rink set up in this restaurant and kids are going to box children. And everybody's like, there's like Russian coaches, everybody's speaking Russian. There's like kids that are like eight, nine, 10. And so the way it's set up is that people for the charity are going to like talk about the charity. Then there's going to be the first half of a comedy show. Then kids are going to box. <laughs> and then there's going to be a second half of a comedy show. Just a disaster. Okay. And it's like half attended and it's starting to look more and more that people are just here for kid boxing. So it starts 45 minutes late, but it opens with the charity guy. So there's this guy talking about homelessness. His name is Mark. We're now friends. There's a little foreshadowing. I'm the only person listening to Mark. I'm not even exaggerating. I put my phone down. He's talking about something serious. He has the eyes of an angel. I'm just going to listen to Mark. So this older man talks about homelessness for like too long, if I'm being honest. But for like 20 minutes, I listen the whole time. Then really gets you in the mood for comedy. So then they bring up the host. You know, she did the best she could in that situation. She brings up the first comic. I was going to be the second comic. He, again, does the best he can in that situation. And then right before they're going to bring up me, the, the, um, uh, a booker goes, hey, because we started so late, we need to stop the show and go right to kid boxing because these kids have to go to bed because they have school tomorrow. Yeah. And I'm pissed. I'm really pissed. And he goes, is that okay? And I go, I mean, what am I supposed to say? Like, I'm not going to be a diva. We're in a restaurant in Coney Island <laughs> and there's kid yeah. boxing. Uh-huh. Like, but, but this isn't what I agreed to. We're already an hour past when I was supposed to leave. And this is a hell gig and I have shit to do. And so I was like, I was like, honestly, I'm really pissed, but I don't feel like I have an option. And he goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's like, we'll see what we do. So then of course they stop the show. They do a bunch of kid boxing. All of a sudden you realize that people can put their phones down and pay attention. Um, I watch kids beat the crap out of each other. And how, then well, how old are kids, by the way? Like, what age are we talking? I would say between like between seven and shit. 12. Oh my gosh. That's young. Yeah. 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 So, and you know, it's clearly coaches from a gym and they're, you know, they're wearing helmets and stuff. It's not like I'm watching like cock fights in a basement, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's set up like a real boxing thing, but it's yeah. weird, super weird. Yeah. Um, and so then the host does like a couple of minutes and then they bring me on and nobody except for Mark, the guy that does the homeless charity is paying attention. And I just literally go, I literally just start talking to him. I was like, do you know who's the only person that is acknowledging that I'm on stage? I was like, do you understand? Like, and like, it ended up being funny. A couple of people said they enjoyed it, but it was like the longest 15 minutes of my life. And then the booker gave, gave me an Uber home because he felt bad. But like, I, I've learned to control my anger. And I've also learned that in the scheme of things, this isn't a big deal, but Mm -hmm. I just, from all the therapy, I just kept being like, I am angry. And I'm not going to say anything while I'm angry. <laughs> like, that's what I kept saying. I was like, I don't know how else to handle this, but I feel like you're not understanding how upset I am and mm. how I don't want to say anything that's hurtful or ridiculous. So I'm just not going to respond. Gotcha. So you didn't like take it out on stage. Like you've said that your kind of your offstage per- personality was kind of different than your onstage persona. That was something that you kind of worked on and then you took now you take more chances and so you allow for more spontaneity now, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I, at the end of the day, this is a charity gig. And so nobody's that, yeah. a bad person. Just because you're a bad audience doesn't mean you're 
horrible. Like it's just a bad situation. And I can look at those bad situations and be like, this is painful and not fun for me. But at the end of the day, we're talking about 15 minutes of pain, truly two hours, unfortunately, of a waste of my time. Mm -hmm. And I still get paid at the end of it. And there's so many people that are standing on their feet doing real work, getting paid garbage yeah. that it's still a blessing. What I do is still, I'm still grateful for what I do. And I'm grateful that somebody would pay me to bomb for 15 minutes. <laughs> right. Well, it sounds like maybe it wasn't necessarily that you bombed. It was just the way that it was. I've heard that a lot from comedians that sometimes they just don't set up the, the venue right for stand-up comedy. So it, it allows people to and be distracted and, yeah, absolutely. But at the end of the day, it still reads as a bomb. You can justify it all you <laughs> yeah. want. You know, people, nobody was in the audience. People weren't paying attention. People cared more about kid boxing. But at the yeah. end of the day, you bomb. You bomb. Sure, you sure. Didn't. Well, so, yeah. yeah and so, you've you've dealt with hecklers before. And I know you've told this story a couple times on the podcast, but you had this one guy, um, and I'm kind of making this story a lot shorter, but it was basically after like three minutes um, you know, he was heckling you and then you said, Hey, if you could shut up for 10 minutes, then let me do it. Then, you know, you'd actually enjoy the show. And then after three minutes, he got up and said, you suck and left. And then you said, uh, well, or maybe you just don't have the patience to listen to women. Good luck with your marriage. Cause he was there for a bachelor party or something. And now you said you yeah. felt ashamed about this and you called it one of the worst nights of your career. But do you think, is there a part of you that deep down thinks maybe you kind of like made that guy think a little and challenged his thoughts and behavior? Cause he was like being really disrespectful to you. Right. And women, or do you think that you will, still feel bad about I that? I will say this. If I had handled it better, yeah. because I, I said something meaner at the end of it, which is, I didn't say just good luck with your marriage. I, I think I said, I feel bad for your wife or something like yeah, that. Like yeah. I said something, I, I said something kind of cutting and I saw in his eyes that it was hurtful. Right. And I had an opportunity to apologize and I didn't. And I, I took it too far and I was too aggressive, even though he was 100% in the wrong. Yeah, I took it too far. I'm in a position of power. And I think you do need to acknowledge that I'm being paid. I'm on stage. People are listening to me. Lights are on me. I'm amplified. You know, I'm mm -hmm. the I'm the one that people are, are there to see. I, I don't like the way I went after him, mm -hmm. even if he was in the wrong. And even when I went too far, I could have apologized and I didn't. And for me, I'm better than that. And yeah. I don't need to hurt people's feelings, even if they are being assholes. That's not my goal. Um, I just wonder, like, if you could line, go back and follow that guy and find out, like, he could be like, you know, that night changed my life. Or, like, I don't know. It would be interesting to see if that actually made it. He could have made a positive think, difference. I don't know. I don't think he will. Like, he yeah. was, because, especially because of how I handled it. If maybe I had apologized or if maybe right. I had explained what he was doing in a way that was both funny and better maybe, but I, he was so aggressively an asshole and so arrogant that it triggered me and I didn't handle it. I could have handled it better and I didn't. And I just can't imagine because of how I reacted that it would have changed him. Yeah. And then I just didn't enjoy the show for the rest of it because I was upset with how mean I was. And I've been meaner before, don't get me wrong, but like it was a different situation mm -hmm. and it was on a, it was on people that either aren't going to remember because they were drunk or it was people that were like, it was the way I attacked him. Sure, and sure. I don't feel good about that. And we're talking about a year and a half ago. Like 
I've definitely made mistakes 10 years ago and mm-hmm. we've, I've definitely learned from it. It was probably because it was, I thought I was better than that. And I was disappointed in myself. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, everybody makes mistakes. So. Yeah. I just, <laughs> you know, I, I, I regret it. I still regret it. Yeah. So is there, um, do you think that now being a comedian in 2020, are people more, is it like, are they more easily offended or do you think it's harder to be a comedian than when you started? Cause you've been doing it for a long time. Um, I think what's weirder is people have access to you and people have mm-hmm. the belief that their voice matters. You know, I know <laughs> right. it's like a harsh thing to say, no, but you're right. think of it this way, if you wanted to voice your opinion, you had to be an expert. You had to be on CNN or mm-hmm. MSNBC. Like somebody, what you would have to have had an education about this topic, and they would have had to bring you in. I'm not saying that was fair either, but yeah. to have an opinion, you would have to have built up some kind of clout. Even if it was a wrong opinion, you would, you would have to be a celebrity from Celebrity Apprentice, and then now you're on some show and you can give your opinion. You would still have to right. have built yourself up to that access and that's not true anymore. Now all you have to do is have an email and you have not only the ability to voice your opinion, but you now have access to Justin Bieber and you can call Mm -hmm. him whatever you want almost to his face. Yeah. So this belief that everyone's voice matters, I'm not saying everybody's voice doesn't matter, but your opinions are often uneducated. You know, you go out, and say stuff, but either people have listened to you wrong. Like, I've had people misquote me. And, like, just a perfect example is people threatening my life because of a joke I didn't do. Right. You have all the facts wrong, and you're going to a misdemeanor. Like, that's insane. But people don't think anymore. So people go, gut reaction, barely have all the facts, mm. often don't even check their own opinions, and then they do something or say something harsh. And they want to hurt you and they want to affect your career. They think you hurt my feelings and you shouldn't have a career anymore. Mm. Not thinking the fact that you don't know what you're talking about and you could actually affect my career for something that, you know, it's the same way that people will do rape allegations because they heard a rumor. And then even if they end up not being true, it still affects that person's life. And it's because you retweeted something you didn't even bother to find out if it was true. Mm -hmm. Do I think rapists should be held accountable? Do I think the Me Too movement is important? Absolutely. I am pro Me Too movement. But I find it crazy that somebody from some blog that's not even a valid source of information says, hey, this senator did something. We should make sure he doesn't have a job. And then everybody goes, I can't believe that senator did something. Well, he shouldn't have a job. And you're like, some person just said it on a blog. Why, is, why are <laughs> right. you taking, it's basically telephone. And the person running the telephone is trying to hurt people just to hurt people because the end result will help them in their career. And that's what's really frightening. Yeah, All it seems like means, a lot of the people yeah. like on Twitter and that kind of stuff, it's almost like the like it used to be crazy people that would say crazy things. You just kind of ignore a lot of that. But now it's like you've given those people a voice with the social media. And it's like, and it's funny because their voices tend to be sometimes some of the loudest because the way those algorithms work, that even if you disagree with the person, well, that's going to go to the top of the newsfeed or whatever. Now there's all these comments and all these people talking. And it's like, now they're the loudest voice because they're, they said the craziest thing. Right. And what they don't understand is often this cancel culture does the opposite effect. So you try to get somebody fired or ruin their career for something 
that really isn't legitimate. And then nothing, no consequences really do happen because what they're saying is illegitimate. And now you just made that person you don't like more famous. Good job. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Seriously. Yeah. No, that's so, interesting. I mean, it's actually helped a lot of my friends in some ways where the controversy has gotten them more popularity. I mean, uh, 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 Gillis, um, the guy that was supposed to be on SNL and then mm-hmm. he didn't get it, Shane Gillis. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, yes, it would have been phenomenal for him to be on SNL. And I, I have, I don't want to give my opinion, honestly, on how I feel about it. Because again, sure. like I said, I don't have all the information from what I've been took in it doesn't look good for him mm-hmm. that being said he's doing fine there's a group yeah. of people that now know who he is and is that the guy that yeah, said the asian comment or whatever exactly i, I so, did think i will um, say uh, my only opinion on that well just i don't really know the guy but i did think it was funny how he said when he didn't get it his response was well i was always more of a mad tv guy i mean that's he's a like he's he's giving a smart ass response to i don't know i thought that was kind of funny yeah, I agree. I think he handled it well, and that's why he's doing it well. I, you know, I'll say this: I didn't love what he was saying, and I think it was awful. And yeah, I, I think, didn't either. I was a little. It was. It was definitely awkward when I saw the clip. I was like, uh, it, maybe there's some context I'm like, missing, but I did. This looks I don't bad. Think there's any con- yeah, yeah, I don't think there's any context. All that being said, I don't know enough about it. Yeah, but I don't. I think people can be held responsible, but I also think it's a little weird for people to all of a sudden gang up on somebody and not realize that, you know, yeah, he didn't get SNL, but you actually kind of made him comics that would have never known who he was now know who he is. Right. And you villainized him in such a way that people came to his defense. Mm. And now he has a peer group, a strong peer group that he would have never had if you didn't, you know what I mean? So there's like, there's a pro and con to all this kind of stuff. And Again, I'm not saying what's right or what's not right, but I think people think I'm going to ruin their lives. You don't know anything about their lives or how the business works. Mm -hmm. I also think it's a little crazy to not. So like Ari Shafir is going through some stuff right now for a tweet that went viral about Kobe Bryant. And, you know, he talks about it. He goes, I literally write inappropriate tweets and like death obituary like that's literally what I do for my fans and they like it mm-hmm. and you guys took it out of context and now you want me to, now I'm getting death threats clubs are getting death threats oh. you know his manager is getting death threats and you're like first of all how does that resolve anything how does that make you a good person that you're upset that they made fun of somebody so you go to the nth degree and now have death threats on somebody because of the joke like that's what's really crazy about it is it's people true. are so hurt that they're reacting in a way where you're like, actually your behavior is what's upsetting. Mm -hmm. He wrote a tweet that is literally, if you don't find it funny, you don't find it funny. Like that's what I don't understand. Then don't support his career. Yeah. No, there's a lot of comedians like that. Those are actually some of my favorites are the, are the dark, you know, dark humor comedians. But, um, speaking of, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, um, go No, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say my friend, Adrian Appalucci, she's on the degenerates, which is like, they literally, promote people that say inappropriate stuff hmm. i mean it's her set is one of the best sets on there she's one of my favorite people do i agree with everything she says absolutely not do i think she's one of the best writers and has a level of dark that makes me gut laugh and blush at the same time absolutely i think she should be able to joke about whatever she wants especially because she's not a bad person mm-hmm. and she's not trying to hurt anybody she just has 
dark inner thoughts that she's yeah. made a career of exposing. That's what I always say with this stuff is like, like, what is your intent? Are you trying to hurt people? Because then, yeah, you're an asshole. But if you're just trying to make people laugh and you miss the mark, then, okay, well, you know, you could apologize if you... Then just don't go yeah. to their show. Right, exactly. But so you were, I want to talk about your TV and film work. I, you've had, you've done a little, you were on Comedy Central at 21 and then you were, clo- I heard that you were close to getting late night. Can you tell me about that? Like how close did you come to getting on late night? Um, I had a, I think a... A second or a third callback for Letterman, probably mm. like ten years ago. Um, I auditioned for pretty much all of them over the years. I still submit to them. I'm. It's always been elusive to me. I mean, even my friends don't understand it. I don't know if it's because I'm a storyteller and that's a really short form, and mm. they want you to be punchier and just be like doof doof doof. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm really dark. I've been rejected because you know I had one booker tell me my comedy is sad, and I mm. go, "You're not wrong," but it's also funny um (laughs) you know and late night tends to be a little more peppy yeah you know i look at somebody like fallon or corden and they're almost like puppy dogs and i it's not my i'm not saying i don't think it's great and there's not an audience for it but that's i can understand how maybe their lightness yeah doesn't correspond with my darkness sure um but do you, now you, you, you did an episode of Conan O'Brien and the and also the Daily Show with John Stewart. Or, or you were you in like a sketch or something? Because I thought I read that somewhere yeah, that you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very, I was an intern for both of them, and they used oh. the interns a lot. So that's that's where a lot of stuff is. Like I was in a bunch of sketches because they would use interns, and they okay. they were really kind to us. But yeah, I was never like officially on anything. Okay, but now you wrote a pilot for Nickelodeon called Acting Up. Can you tell how, cause if you're, you're saying that you're too dark for late night, but then you wrote a pilot for a kid's channel, uh, right? Tell me about that. I mean, I, well, I mean, guess it was, was maybe that was why I was rejected or. No, I was 19. I mean, that was oh. through a friend of mine and it, you know, it didn't get picked up or whatever. And then, um, I did write a kid's animated series on my own and I made it into a web series and that, is that one is damaged? specifically for. Or apartment yeah, C3. Yeah. You have two of those, it's, right? Yeah. Damage. Okay. Yeah. Watch some yeah, of that. So damage. Yeah, Damage is animated and for kids and Apartment C3 was like a little web series where the the episodes were anywhere from 30 seconds to four minutes long. It was mm. weekly. We did it for like a year. And um, um, it was just something to like do and get our names out there. And it's, I learned a lot about how to make stuff. And it was all this stuff is just like important learning experiences that you hope apply to the future. Yeah, no, that's very cool. Um, let's see. I had some questions about how well, we could skip the stuff about. I know you're you're a marathon runner and all that. We don't. I don't know if you, there's anything we want to talk about that. Oh, I, you know, let me just ask you this. Like, so with health and stuff, you did paleo diet and all that. But you used to do. You kind of went through a phase where maybe you were depressed and you were kind of doing a lot of drugs and drinking. And then now you don't do any drinking. The only thing you do is occasional Xanax when you fly. Was there a, was there something that happened? Like, a, was that like from the breakup? that maybe when you quit or was there one thing that maybe where you said, I'm not drinking anymore. What is there a story there? Not really. I, I've, I've had health problems for uh, a long time and I, they just kind of got really bad when I was like 25, 26. And um, I took a blood test. It said I was allergic to yeast and a couple of other things. So okay. I cut yeast out of my diet and alcohol. Um, you could have like triple distilled vodka and whiskey and stuff, but, I really didn't like it that much. And mm. I was never a big drinker to begin with. Sure. But um, I just noticed that when I cut alcohol out, my stomach felt better. So yeah. it wasn't really a big 
decision and it wasn't hard. Like I've gone sugar free and that was like being hmm. kind of being like a gun put to my head <laughs> and I went sugar free for two years and wow. it was the longest two years of my life. And yeah. I still think I should cut a lot more sugar out, but, um, bread and bread was really hard, but hmm. giving up drinking was truly a barely a decision. Okay. That's not too bad. Well, let me, I got a few quick fun topics here and then um, we'll talk about your charity and then we'll wrap up. Cause I know I'm sure you got to get going, but I had a question. Um, what is your opinion on mom jeans? Cause they, they seem to be back in style. So I just wondered if you had an opinion on that. I think nobody looks good on them. At all. <laughs> okay. I, I just, I think they're unflattering uh, to yeah. all body types. And uh, I, you know, if you, okay. if you rock them and you enjoy them, good for you. But I, I, I just, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't either. Okay. I just wanted to get your opinion on that. Um, and then do you think I've, I've been meaning to ask a lot of comedians about this, but do you think the word literally is currently being overused? I feel like I hear that word literally like 50 times a day. Uh, probably. And I'm probably one of those people. So no, I, I think really I do it too. Anybody. It's like, conta- it's contagious. Yeah. No, I, I, as somebody that pays attention to all their words, I think I don't use it as much on stage, mm. but I'm less focused on my words when I'm in uh, person. And I, I right. do think I'm very much like a 90s valley girl usage <laughs> of it. Well, I noticed that you always use the, um, I don't know if this is like a Brooklyn thing or just a Liz thing, but you don't pronounce your T's sometimes. Like when you say kitten and, and gluten and stuff like that, is that like a Brooklyn or a, a Jersey accent kind of thing? I think it's Jersey. Jersey. Yeah. yeah we just don't, I, you know, I'm also like dyslexic and dumb. Like you just, I'm lazy too. I, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't think. I thought it was endearing. I was, I didn't mean it as a, as a knock. I, I thought it was, endearing. I love accents yeah. like New York accents, Texas accents, Southern, like uh, I love them all. So I just, I just noticed that when I was listening to you a lot, I was like, she always says the word kitten like that. I was like, that's really cool. Um, and then, Oh, I didn't, <laughs> I had another question for you. I, I don't know this. What kind of music do you like? Totally random. Just oh, curious. It is random. I mean, it's kind of changed over the years. I would say when I was younger, I was really into like R&B and hip hop and punk music. And then as I got older, and then like anything my parents listened to, like I loved Billy Joel and Paul Simon and, you know, my mom loved Queen and Robert Palmer and Prince and stuff. So like, it's a weirdly eclectic. And then honestly, as I become more of a gym rat and a runner and somebody that drives long hours, I pop has really infused itself because it's, it keeps you awake mm. or it's like has good tempo to run mm-hmm. to anything that I can run to. Like I don't, I think I've been to dancing maybe once or twice in my entire life, but I listen to a lot of dance music because yeah. it has high energy. And when you're running or driving for four hours, you kind of need energy. So it, it's really morphed. And at this point, my little brother and my little sister send me songs and I go, oh, I like it. And then I download it. And oh, cool. That's nice. So it's, I, and I don't think my musical taste is good at all, but I still do <laughs> love, like I, and I still listen to a lot of 90s R&B and hip hop. Um, oh, okay. I'm, a, I'm just not, I, it's, you know, it's the disease of getting older. I'm just not as in touch with music today as I used to be. Sure. Yeah. No, and then right. I might like one you know, now because of like downloading and like single culture, like I might download one song of an artist and never download anything else of theirs. Right. So That's what everybody's doing. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. So it's just kind of super random. Cool. So, um, yeah, like I wrap up with a charity. So I think I, that was your homework. 
Um, and you, I know you've worked with, you try to help people with mental illness and dyslexia cause you had dyslexia. Um, is, is there a specific charity that people should like a website people can go to for those? Or there, is there another charity you want to talk about? So, so yeah, so the Jed foundation, I do a podcast with them. There's not really a set schedule. It's kind of random. It's mm. people that they, um, want to interview that have really amazing stories that they think will help others. So the mm. Jed foundation is a, uh, it's mostly for teenagers and young adults, but it's a, uh, it gives awareness to mental illness as well as the suicide prevention. Yeah. Um, and so I, like I said, I do their podcast. I, I share a lot of their stuff. I've given money to them. I, I think they're incredible. And I know most of the staff, they're just, it's just an amazing charity. And it, I appreciate what they do. And um, so I'm a huge Jed foundation uh, supporter and my podcast I do with them is called Jed voices and it's okay. all on their website or their YouTube um, for dyslexia, I did a talk with, um, the dyslexic advantage. They wrote a book under the title, the dyslexic advantage. Mm-hmm. They also have like a, um, website and, and a YouTube page, but I did a 20 minute talk that they have on their YouTube about my experiences growing up dyslexic and how it affects me as an adult. And their book changed my life. If you have any kid with a learning disability mm-hmm. or you think you might have dyslexia, their book, whether you listen to it or, or read it, it's. I read it when I was 25 and it, it changed my life. And I ended up talking about it on a couple of podcasts and then somebody must've sent the the doctors that wrote it to them and they oh. loved me and they brought me in to do the conference and they're just wonderful people. And, um, I'm just a huge fan of what they do. Yeah. Um, and oh. then I also give a lot, um, I give a lot of money and I actually, I don't know when this is coming out, but I'm doing a show for the, the whole program. Uh, my best friend, has worked for them for years, but they're, they help people that were, um, uh, incarcerated or recently released, um, get like, uh, interview skills, resume building skills, help them oh, line them up great. with jobs. But it's just, I think we're a horrible country that incarcerates people that shouldn't be incarcerated. And I, what we do, I think is abusive and wrong. And there's a lot of people, and then we ruin their lives because once you have that, you've been to prison on your, on, on your record, people won't give you, yeah, it's really hard to get jobs. So this program, you know, help educate people like with computer skills or, 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 um, just building up their resume and then they help line them up with work. And so she's been working for them forever and I'm doing a charity show with them. Um, what day am I doing her a charity show at Gotham? Uh, day is it um 20 uh february 26th i'm doing a charity show with them oh, nice. if you google the whole program they're just an amazing charity that i try to give to every That's year great. yeah it sounds like you're doing a lot of good work in the world and uh, i think it's amazing too that you um, you were dyslexic, but you, you were going to be writing a book or the cat book i mean that's pretty amazing that you overcame dyslexia and now you're having a book coming out yeah, I actually went to school for writing. I've always loved reading and writing. It's difficult for me, right. but I I like it. And yeah. so it just it's frustrating and luckily I have an editor. Like I told when my oh. editor first was approaching me about it, I was like I should let you know I'm dyslexic <laughs> and you're going to read some jumbled garbage and he's like I'm ready. Um so but it's I'll, a lot more yeah. review and even like right now I'm rereading it to like punch it up and mm-hmm. it's upsetting because it's almost faster for me to write than to reread. So me rereading my own book is, is more exhausting and frustrating than it is to actually write it. Yeah. And then, uh, I, yeah. And you also said that dis, the uh, dyslexia has actually maybe helped you in your comedy because it helps you kind of see the world different, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, it changes your perspective. I think you're, I'm, 
observant in different ways. I take in information in different ways. My brain literally works in a different way. I think you just have, if your whole goal is of a comedian is to show people something in a unique way, my brain naturally already works that way. And I think it is an advantage. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Well, I mean, you've appeared on Comedy Central. You've been featured in so many magazines like Psychology Today, the Marathon one, the New Yorker. You've been on so many podcasts. You have two comedy albums, Emotionally Exhausting and Mind Over Melee. Melee? No, Melee, right? Um, mind over melee. Melee. Play on my name. <laughs> That's what it was. Yes. Um, and then people can find your tour dates on the website. You're on all the social media, as we talked about. Uh, you have a viral video, the uh, female sex positions, which is hilarious. Um, uh, so, feminist sex positions. Yeah. What is it? Feminist. Sex feminist, positions? not female. Sorry. Yeah. No, that was so funny though. Yeah, that was a great video. I don't want to give it away, so just check that out. Um, is there anything else you want to promote at this time? Um, yes, yeah, so it's just uh, I'm my 2020 tour literally starts um, February 1st, and I'm, I'm traveling everywhere, and I'm adding new dates, and I have tons of videos on YouTube and Instagram, and then um, my special hopefully will come out sometime in the spring. I'm still waiting for a date. Oh, you have another special? Is this going to be a, a video one? Yeah. Oh, cool. I, I self-produced it, and now I'm just seeing where it's going to end up. Oh, okay. So it might be on Netflix or Amazon or? I have no idea where it's going to live. Okay. Well, we'll look for that. And then hopefully maybe someday you'll come to Phoenix. Do you, have you ever, you, you traveled here before, right? Or I have done shows there before and it is on my list. Okay, so I am good. trying to get there. Well, I'll come and see you. I'll try yeah. to bring some people. Come see you. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on my show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks and, for uh, having me. Okay, that was comedian Liz Mealy. Definitely check out her website for tour dates because she not only travels all over the country, she travels all over the world. So she's probably come to your town at some point. Um, she's got two comedy albums that are on all the streaming platforms. She's on all the social media. So definitely check out all that stuff. Uh, I'm on all the social media as well. If you enjoy this podcast, um, take a screenshot and uh, share it on social media. Put it in your Instagram story. Tag me in it. Um, I'd love to see which episodes you're listening to and where you're listening and what you think. Um, you can also write me a review. Um, other than that, I will be back uh, uh, hopefully next week with a new episode.